Squatch Ranger Files, episode 53. I am the Squatch Ranger, your host. I hope everyone stayed safe during that winter storm that hit and went through the Midwest. It definitely hit Oklahoma, where I'm at. So hopefully everybody stayed safe. Hopefully you kept your eyes out for some tracks in the snow. I know some members of our team have gone out to a few different places and looked around for some signs of Sasquatch and that kind of thing. Didn't really come up with anything serious, but a few interesting things here and there. Anyway, welcome to episode 53. I'm so glad to be here, so glad to be back. The Groundhog did see his shadow six more weeks of winter, if you are into that kind of thing. Alright, the show has expanded to the Anchor platform. We are very excited to be here. Anchor helps the show reach Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. We hope to grow our audience and are able to continue to bring you the latest Bigfoot reports from around the country. If you are a new listener to the show, welcome. You are now an official Squatch Ranger. Your duties include have an open mind, ask questions, trust, but confirm, and always seek the truth. Thanks for joining the show. All right, uh, real quick, I want to talk about this new video I have out on YouTube. It's called Bigfoot Tracks versus Bear Tracks. It's just kind of a little video, a short video, about 10 minutes. We kind of put some Bigfoot casts up against some pictures of some double step bear tracks, bear tracks of the rear paw crossing over the uh, front paw 
and we kind of do some comparisons, side-by-side -side comparisons. We kind of look at it and and kind of break it down and, you know, I let you, the viewers, decide. Do you think the skeptics are correct? Is that what's really going on with Bigfoot casts? Are they all double-step bear tracks? I don't think so. Maybe sometimes that happens, sure. But every single case of a Bigfoot cast? I don't think so, skeptics. But you watch the video and you write in, please, and let me know what you think. All right, let's start off with the segment of listener comments from the previous episode. So these would be comments from Squatch Ranger Files, episode 52, if you can remember back that far. We had an episode about Bigfoot migrating into Metroplex areas and maybe finding like a wildlife refuge that's kind of on city limits, getting into big, bigger cities. And it can Bigfoot and Sasquatch hang around there? And I kind of went through and gave you a list of different major cities and some wildlife refuges or hunting land, public hunting lands around major cities across the U.S. I kind of broke it down for you in that episode. So Kathleen B. writes in, Amazing encounter stories. Thank you. God bless. Kathleen, thank you so much. She has been supporting Squatch Ranger Files for a while now, and I appreciate her. Marvelist47 says, Great info. Thanks. I appreciate that. I try to bring you good content on the channel and good info, and I'm glad you enjoyed that, Marvelist47. Please write into the show some more. Please don't be a stranger. EB writes, I believe there are some old sighting reports from the Redbud Valley Nature Preserve and Northeast Tulsa area. Check out that area, EB. Thank you, EB. I didn't realize that the Redbud Valley Nature Preserve was in existence. I did, after the comment, I did look into it, and it is a part of the Tulsa Zoo. There is a facility is linked to the Tulsa Zoo called the Oxley Nature Center. And this Redbud Valley Nature Preserve is part of that. And it's in this really squatchy area around the Tulsa around Tulsa. And I didn't realize that this Redbud Valley Nature Preserve existed, but I've driven kind of around that area and I've always thought it's very squatchy in there. And I've always wanted to see if there was reports or places to investigate around there. So it looks like I could visit this Redbud Valley Nature Preserve, maybe do like a day hike or something, check out some signs of Sasquatch. But EB, I did look on the internet. I don't know where to start to even find reports in that area. So please, if you could write in to me, contact me, let me know what reports you've actually heard or read. I would love to get a link to that article of those reports. Okay, let's move on. I'm your Huckleberry. He writes in, Squatch Ranger, 30 miles north of Houston is the Sam Houston National Forest and Lake Conroe. On the north end of that lake is Stubblefield Campground. There has been reported at least six Bigfoot sightings and that these happen to be aggressive creatures. All right, thank you very much. Um, I'm your Huckleberry. He also wrote back, also check out the Big Thicket area, just about 40 miles northeast of Houston, Texas. Okay, I am aware of the Big Thicket area. I have heard of that before. 
I do realize that it's very squatchy, has a lot of Sasquatch activity. So I will uh, do some more research on that and reading up on that. I have heard about that area on shows and podcasts for a long time now, and I know it's squatchy. So I definitely want to check out the Stubblefield Campground a little bit closer because Carla H. writes in, I've heard encounters in both Sam Houston and Stubblefield Campground. I think Sasquatch Chronicles founder Wes, his encounter was in Texas. Okay, Carla, I'm not so sure. Um, I always thought his encounter was in Washington or Oregon. I think Washington, I think that's where he lives. But I do know that he has gone on an expedition in Texas, probably had some experiences, Bigfoot, Sasquatch experiences on the uh, expedition in Texas. I'm not sure that was his original encounter, though. I think it was in Washington, where he's from. But yes, she writes in, she makes the point again about Stubblefield Campground. So I am definitely going to check into this. This sounds like a really awesome place. I want to do some more digging and maybe find these encounters that you guys are writing into me and talking about. All right, guys, those are all the listener comments. So real quick, before we get deeper into the show here, I just want to invite you, please share your encounter story with us. All you have to do is email the show, and the way you do that is write into squatchranger at gmail.com. Please share your encounter stories. If you've ever seen a Bigfoot, or maybe you've heard wood knocks or vocalizations, thumps in the night while you're camping, whatever it may be, please write into us. I'd love to feature your story on this program. I love hearing new encounter stories and I know you're out there if you have a friend who has one please send them our way squatchranger at gmail.com okay let's uh, move on let's get into the show I'm not ready to uh, read you the sighting reports yet I want to do a quick little segment on this very interesting topic so I have this Bigfoot friend in my circle of Bigfoot friends and she's like me. She She's never seen a Bigfoot for herself. She's had spirit-type encounters before, and she's very interested in the subjects of paranormal and Bigfoot. And she's gone out on several campouts in, in the Bigfoot groups that I'm involved in. She's like, she's like me. I've never seen a Bigfoot, but I want to see one. She wants to see one. Anyway, she shared this to our group. We have a facebook messenger group on facebook and she shared this excerpt to our group and this comes from bigfoot the real truth facebook page now i didn't actually go onto that facebook page and read this i this was actually copied and pasted to our group so i'm reading it from that but i thought this was very very fascinating and very very interesting i wanted to bring it on here and talk about a few things so This is an anonymous author. I don't know who this is, but they bring up some great points, a great topic. All right, she writes, I want to bring up something that lots of people have questions about, as do I. But I think I have some of the answer, possibly. There are lots of claims of people who say that Sasquatches avoid game cameras or electronics in general. There are people who say that's not possible. 
You know the conversation. Interestingly, I can relate personally to this. I have always been sensitive to electronics, especially in my area, when I'm sleeping. I cannot have them near me because they emit a noise that I can hear that drives me nuts. It's like a buzzing in my brain, and it triggers me to be upset because it makes me very uncomfortable. Just the other day, my husband plugged in a tablet to charge, and I didn't know it. And I kept asking him what that annoying noise was, and tracked it down to the spot where he charges things. It was so bad, I couldn't even go near it. I had to have him unplug it. It's not that bad for me, but this particular time it was. He never heard a thing and said it was nuts that I could hear it like that. My point is, we as humans are typically surrounded by electronics constantly. In our houses, in our cars, our phones that we carry on us almost constantly, etc. Most of us are used to it, and we are not bothered by it in any known way. Now let's think about our forest friends. They are not around electronics, so they would be more sensitive to any sound that would be emitted from them. So for people to say it's not possible for them to hear something like that, it is possible. I know it for myself. I cannot sleep if there are electronics near me. Most people have been desensitized by technology and do not notice it, but some people can still detect it and are sensitive to it. We always talk about how sensitive and intuitive and intelligent these creatures are. I believe, as far as theories on electronics, that they absolutely can hear sounds emitted by them. In my case, it drives me nuts and makes me very uncomfortable. If it does the same type of thing to Sasquatches, of course they would avoid the area, right? Kind of like those electronic plug-in things people use to try to make mice stay away. I tried one of those in my house, and all it did was keep one of my dogs out of that room. Has anyone else had this happen to them? Okay, that's the very end of her post. I thought this was very, very interesting.、Um, now we could we could go take this down a lot of different avenues、uh, with this. I'm strictly. In my little speech here, I'm going to keep it all about audio and in hearing audio,、uh, because that's kind of what she kept it at. Was she related it to herself about hearing the sounds from the electronics? So I'm going to keep it kind of on the audio side of things. But if you have an idea about a different avenue that we could go down with this, I want you to write in in the comments, please. I want to know your opinions. But I'm strictly everything I'm going to say is probably going to stay within. Just hearing and the audio side of things. So, one of the very first things I thought of when I when I first read this, the very first thing, and I just still can't get it out of my head, is that children have this certain frequency that they can hear, but adults cannot. It's called the mosquito tone, and I didn't know off the top of my head what frequency this was, so I did have to do a little bit of digging. So I got this from a Thing, a website called Decibel Pro. So I quote: When talking about sound only kids can hear, there is one theory that keeps popping up. This theory says that adults above the age of 25 cannot hear a sound called the mosquito tone, 
which is a sound at a frequency of 17.4 kilohertz. If you want a chance to test this sound out for yourself, you can find it here. Link attached. However, this mosquito tone theory is not bulletproof. When it comes to noise only kids can hear, things are a little more complex. You will certainly find some kids or youngsters that are unable to hear sounds at that 17.4 kilohertz frequency and some adults that can, end quote. All right, so yeah, generally kids can hear the 17.4 kilohertz and adults can't. Now it is a case-by-case -case basis. There are adults that can hear it. Uh, I cannot hear it. I actually went to that link myself and I got on my phone and it's, it's a YouTube video and it plays that frequency. I actually played it while my kids were playing. They didn't know I was playing it and they actually didn't notice it. And I had it on full volume on my iPhone. I couldn't hear it at full volume at all. And I was right beside my phone. They were playing their, their little minds were, you know, in playland, and they, they didn't know I was playing it. So they didn't notice it. So I was kind of surprised by that, but I have tried it before in the past a year or two ago and, and, uh, my kids did notice it, which I thought was so interesting and so cool. So the only way I could hear it is if I literally put the speaker of my phone right by my ear and then I could kind of hear a, a frequency, but I did have to put it right up to my ear. So I immediately went to this when I was thinking of this, um, this, this woman writing in this little excerpt. And I just thought, okay, so, you know, there's kids can hear, hear a certain frequency. So maybe our forest friends, maybe there's something to that. Maybe they can hear the mosquito tone even better, probably, like other animals could. And so I just, I went to that. So then I start to thinking, okay, um, maybe there's a condition this woman has. So I kind of did a little short search on a web browser and I found a couple of different conditions that people could have where people notice sounds more than other people would notice sounds. So I found, I found this, it's called, what is hyperacusis? Hyperacusis is a hearing disorder that makes it hard to deal with everyday sounds. You might also hear it called sound or noise sensitivity. If you have it, certain sounds may seem unbearably loud even though people around you don't seem to notice them. Hyperacusis is rare. It affects 1 in 50,000 people. Most people who have it also have another condition called tinnitus, which is a buzzing or ringing in your ear. Okay, so this hyperacusis, I think it's like ordinary sounds like a car engine running. Okay, your washing machine going. You know, everyday noises like that, maybe not quite electronics that are very, very, very silent. Okay, so I don't think uh, this this person probably has hyperacusis. Okay, but it, it is a condition that people have and they're more sensitive to everyday sounds. But it sounds like, because what she wrote in her excerpt, she even wrote the word uh, buzzing or ringing. So let's, let's check out this, uh, what is tinnitus? Tinnitus, or ringing in the ears, is the sensation of hearing, ringing, buzzing, hissing, chirping, whistling, or other sounds. The noise can be intermittent, or continuous, and can vary in loudness. 
it is often worse when background noise is low. So you may be most aware of it at night when you're trying to fall asleep in a quiet room. In rare cases, the sound beats in sync with your heart, pulsatile tinnitus. Okay, I thought that was interesting. So if this female that wrote this in, if she is suffering from some kind of condition, I would think it would be this condition, tinnitus, where you're, you're constantly hearing, you know, ringing, buzzing, that kind of thing. She even wrote it in her excerpt. I'm not sure if that's really what she has, if she does have this condition. Seems like she would already know and have had that um, diagnosed to her by a professional already. So I'm not sure here, but uh, I just think it's interesting. There are people out there that can hear this buzzing, ringing sound constantly, and it's, it's a condition. So do our forest giants, do they walk around with tinnitus and, and that kind of thing? That is not what's happening because they are avoiding game cameras, and it's not from a condition, I don't think. I think it's there. They have this special sensitivity that we just can't quite explain yet. I don't. I don't know. But then I got to thinking. Okay, let's let's take a look at humans, and let's take a look at what what is our typical hearing range, and then let's compare that to a couple of animals out in the woods. What's their hearing range? So what is the normal hearing range for humans? Humans can hear frequencies between 20 and 20,000 hertz. Speech and language frequencies, the ones we are most sensitive to, range from 250 to 8,000 hertz. Not all humans have the same hearing range. Some can detect and hear higher frequencies than others, while many incur a gradual loss of sensitivity to higher frequencies especially as they age. All right, so we both we typically have 20 to 20,000 hertz hearing range. It does vary from human to human. And uh, maybe some people like this this woman that wrote in, maybe she can hear higher frequencies that we can't. Maybe it's not a condition. Maybe she just has better hearing. All right, so what would be the average hearing range? What would it be for a Sasquatch, one of our forest friends? You know, I would think, okay, if this really is true and the reason that they can avoid game cameras, maybe they, their ears are just better than ours, you know? That, that would have to be. They can hear some kind of frequencies and hear electronics and all that like she's getting at. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But first, I, I want to do a couple of animals. So first animal, similar in size, uh, is in the forest, hairy you know, probably has the same diet, a bear, okay, because it's in North America, uh, it might, it might explain some of the misidentifications and, uh, Bigfoot sightings, maybe, so I went to a bear, their ears aren't probably shaped the same as a Sasquatch, they're not shaped the same as ours, uh, so maybe it's not quite the same, but since they are an animal, and they're out in the woods, and they've evolved, and blah 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 over the years, maybe their hearing's better because they've been out in the woods. So anyway, I just, for fun, looked up a bear. Bears can hear both exceptionally high and low pitches that far exceed the frequency range and sensitivity of humans. Depending on the species of bear, they can hear somewhere between 40 to 60,000 hertz, while we humans can generally hear between 20 to 20,000. Okay, so obviously bears have a wider range 
and are more sensitive to hearing, so maybe a Sasquatch, maybe their hearing range is something like a bear. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there because it's an animal out in the woods. Okay. I also looked at gorillas and surprisingly through my five minute internet search on the internet, I couldn't actually find a chart for gorillas in terms of like hertz and kilohertz and, and like an audio range like that. So I found some very, very general information on gorillas. So here's what I got. This says, gorillas have very good hearing so they can call out to each other. The young definitely learn the voice of their mother at a very young age. They can pick up low noises that humans can't hear easily and that is often how they are alerted to dangers. So that kind of sounds familiar. So even though I don't have the uh, the exact range, the scientific measurements, I couldn't find it. So if somebody can do a better internet search than me and write into the comments, give me a uh, spectrum of the gorilla's hearing range, that would be great. But I couldn't find one uh, just for gorillas. I was looking for gorillas only. But I thought that was very interesting. They hear these lower tones that we can't hear, and that alerts them of danger. So... This is going right along with our topic of Sasquatch, of being able to avoid game cameras, and maybe they're picking up on electronics, and the electronics are emitting some kind of energy, or maybe auditory uh, decibel wave sounds, sound waves, maybe, and maybe they're maybe they can hear it, and that's how they avoid it. So, I I looked up. Okay, so what kind of noises do game cameras make? Do they actually put out some kind of uh, decibel level sound waves all the time and so that we don't hear but animals can hear it and that's how they avoid the game cameras well so I looked it up and no they don't just put out a constant audio sound wave like all the time that's not how it works game cameras are actually very very quiet but they do put out a little bit of sound so I found this from trailcamjunkie.com about game cameras and it all comes down to their IR filters and that's the one thing that makes the noise so this little bit comes from trailcamjunkie.com it says during nighttime photos trail cameras use an artificial light source that is called a flash the flash provides light to the area allowing the photo to have proper exposure on today's cameras, you will often see that most manufacturers use infrared and black flash in an attempt to not spook game with a sudden flash. These light sources produce a light that is a wavelength that our eyes cannot see. The caveat to this is that the image sensor of the camera that is designed to pick up the same light that we see cannot absorb this light either. So, to combat this, what is known as an infrared filter drops down in front of the lens, blocking infrared heat and allowing visible light to go through the image sensor. The mechanical movement of the IR filter is the noise that you can hear. How loud this noise actually is depends greatly on the engineering of each camera. The amount of noise can change from brand to brand and even from camera to camera. How often this happens also depends on the engineering of the camera as well. Some trail camera manufacturers 
design their trail cameras to drop the IR filter once there is no longer adequate light in the available area, and then removes the IR filter when light becomes adequate again, typically around dusk and dawn. This makes sure that the trail camera only makes a slight clicking noise twice a day. Other manufacturers enact the IR filter to drop and raise with every trail camera trigger, subsequently making a noise every time a photo is taken during the night. Okay, so that was a lot of information right there, but basically what it comes down to is when that IR filter drops when it's taking a photo, it makes a tiny little clicking sound, very, very tiny. Basically what happens is if you're a hunter out in the woods and you're standing next to a game camera, if you're about three feet from the game camera and we engage that IR filter to drop down, you might be able to hear it from three feet away, a little bit of just a little click sound. And also if you're right up against the game camera, like you're inches away, you're definitely gonna hear the click sound. If you're six feet, from the game camera, about six feet or more, you're not gonna hear that little click. Our human ears aren't gonna even hear it six feet away or more. So we're not, we're really not gonna hear it out in the forest, especially if you're walking and walking on leaves and stuff like that, and the, you know, your footfalls. So maybe like uh, deer and other animals with more frequent, they can hear more frequencies and they're, they're, their uh, hearing is just better than ours, their hearing range is better than humans, they might be able to hear that tiny little clicking noise from far away. So maybe Sasquatch can hear that tiny click. And on most cameras, or on some, it only clicks twice, like once at dusk and once at dawn. So game cameras aren't really putting out a lot of noise or sound waves for them to pick up on. Uh, so I thought that was interesting through, through this little uh, research I did. So Sasquatch, they're probably not going to really pick up on the game cameras. Uh, and then and then also said sometimes the game camera will make that click noise every single picture it takes. So it will do it more often. So it just depends on the manufacturer, but it's just a tiny little clicking noise. So how are they avoiding these game cameras? If, if they have great hearing, maybe they can hear the clicking noise, but is that really enough to avoid the game cameras? So here's where we can go down different avenues with this. Um, maybe they pick up on a, a different type of energy. Maybe they pick up on the, uh, what's that, that black flash. Maybe they can see it. Maybe they can see the black flash or just the light, the IR light that it emits. I, I don't know. You guys write in. Let's, let's take this down some other avenues. But for just today's episode, I was going to keep it strictly at the auditory signals, sound waves, and what they could possibly pick up on. So I don't really think it's that. Um, so we might need to explore some other things. Anyway, we're going to get into the Bigfoot reports. Here they are. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And it's time for the Bigfoot reports. Here they come, guys. Number one why I became a Bigfoot scientist. Sullivan County, New Hampshire. Class A, daytime sighting. Year unknown. This story comes from the website 603bigfoot.com. I am a scientist who has dedicated my life to Bigfoot. 
I know you have some disdain for the folks who claim to be Bigfoot experts, and I can assure you, I make no such claims. I am just someone who applies the scientific method, logic, and common sense to interpreting some of the claims and evidence found. I thought it may be interesting to share the experience that led my life down this path in the first place. Perhaps some of the people watching your channel have had similar experiences and would benefit from hearing mine. I was 11 or 12 at the time, and I was a bit of a troublemaker in school. Nothing serious, just the occasional fistfight or spitball incident. Stuff like that. Whenever I got a detention, my parents' rule was that I had to walk home. It was their way of adding a little extra punishment on top of what the school was doling out. I grew up in rural New Hampshire, and if you were driving to the school, it was about a five or six mile trip. This is because where we lived was on the opposite side of a range of heavily forested hills which had no roads going through them. However, there were old logging trails and jeep trails that cut through these hills which would cut the total distance down to under two miles. My brother and I used to ride our mountain bikes through these trails to play basketball at the school or swim in the town pool during the summer. A few times we even raced our mom with her driving on the roads and us pedaling our bikes through the trails and we would usually win. So even though my parents probably had the longer distance route in mind when they made this rule, of course I took the shortcut home whenever I needed to walk. There was also a small stream that crisscrossed one of the trails. The stream kind of winding along where the trail went more or less straight. This stream was probably only four to five feet across on average, but there were a few deeper and wider pools and spots where the terrain got steep. These pools were great for catching native brook trout, and one of them was large enough to cool off in the summer. This one had a little waterfall, and the pool the waterfall made was maybe 10 or 12 feet across, and almost as deep as it was wide. Anyway, I had got a detention late in the school year, and it was hot as hell out. So I decided I'd take a little detour on my walk home so I could cool off in the pool. This required going off the trail for maybe a quarter of a mile and rock hopping along the stream. We had gotten a lot of rain earlier, so the stream was higher than usual. My converses were soaked, and as I approached the pool, the waterfall was roaring. I think this is how the creature didn't hear me coming. The noise of the falls and the stream itself masked the sound of my approach. That and the creature was in the middle of doing his business when we first caught sight of each other. He was squatting on a rock, dropping deuces right into the stream. Well, I was in shock and just stood there stunned. The creature wasn't stunned though, as if he had planned it. He caught one of his own turds before it hit the water, and all in the same motion, hurled it in my direction. I had never been to a zoo at that point, but since then I have seen chimps at the zoo do something similar. Anyway, the turd hit me square in the chest, 
and caused me to slip off the rock I was standing on. I fell backward and must have hit my head on a rock as I did. I woke up half submerged in the stream with a pounding headache and parts of the turd still clinging to my favorite No Fear shirt. Remember those? I did my best to wash the shirt in the stream and then got the hell out of there. Looking back, I really wish I had not done this. If I had saved it, I could have conducted DNA analysis on it today. I didn't tell my parents, partly because I was afraid they would be mad that I took a detour to swim during my walk of punishment, and partly because I didn't think they would believe me. The only person I told was my best friend Josh, and even he laughed and didn't believe me. I haven't told anyone since, but privately, this incident motivated me to dedicate my life to science and the pursuit of Bigfoot. I was pissed off, embarrassed, and confused. I don't like any of those feelings, so I promised myself I would find the truth and get to the bottom of what I saw. I am still working on that to this day, nearly 30 years later. Number 2 Two boys see creature near private Christian school. Cumberland County, Maine. My first experience was when I was young. My parents had me in a very small private Christian school in rural Maine. I had roughly six classmates and only one was my age, the teacher's son. One day, we were running around outside racing, playing with rocks and things of that nature. Normal seven to 10 year old boy stuff. Now, out back of the church, there was a very large clearing, which I assumed at the time was to make room for additions. But me and my buddy, we'll call him Josh, always liked to mess around back there as the earth was extremely uneven little divots to hide in and plenty of rocks to flip over and discover salamanders. On this particularly warm afternoon, we were nearing the tree line when we both smelled something foul. We scoured the area for potential dead animals and found next to nothing. As we neared the center of the field, Josh stepped in his tracks and just stared at the tree line, frozen with fear. I called out his name a couple times, and he just turned and ran, telling me to RUN! I looked in the direction that made him flee, and saw a very tall, upright human figure, walking between trees, with its face following me. Hair covered its body. I took off and never went back. Our parents of course said we saw a bear, but we know what we saw was no bear. Fast forward to 2012, and Jefferson County, Washington, I've since married, had a child, and have enlisted in the U.S. Navy. I was stationed in the Pacific Northwest, and have heard the stories, but heeded none of the warnings. My wife scoured the internet one weekend for an easy hike. Our daughter wasn't really old enough to walk, so we decided to bring a stroller I'm going to be honest, I don't remember the exact location, but I do know that it was off the beaten path. We pulled up to the trailhead 
and saw a couple of people very swiftly get into their vehicle, almost panicked and sped off. My wife and I dismissed it as they were in a hurry to get somewhere, so we continued, business as usual. We began down the path and almost immediately started getting an uneasy feeling. Mutually, we agreed audibly that something was off. About five minutes deep into this actually rough path, the stroller was a bad decision. We heard a blood-curdling scream, which sounded like a woman, but not quite human, deep in the woods to our left. My wife and I looked at each other, frantic. Time to go! I grabbed my daughter and my wife grabbed the stroller, and we took off. We heard the scream moments later, but this time it was much closer and now we were hearing something very large trudging through the woods. But we couldn't see anything. We slowed down to listen, trying desperately to keep our location hidden, despite the fact that we felt like we were being watched. Now, the thing moving in the woods was coming from different directions, without warning. We could not pinpoint it as to keep eyes in that direction. As we paused briefly again, it seemed the woods stood still. No sounds, not even birds chirping. We felt like this was our opportunity to barrel out of there. We took off. We were close to the trailhead anyway. Not seconds after our borderline sprint, a massive boulder, probably 100 pounds, launched across the trail as if by slingshot bouncing off the massive trees. We tried to see where it came from as there were no hills but to no avail. We kept moving and only noticed the downed tree that was in the walking path that wasn't there previously after we got into our vehicle and took off. Were these humans messing with us? My wife and I didn't wait to find out. It was terrifying and I doubt we will ever know the truth. Number 3. Two Boys See Bigfoot in Berry Hill, 1970s, Northeast District, Tulsa County, Oklahoma. Class C Sighting. The following is an NOBRO documented report. I grew up in Berry Hill starting from 1964. My grandparents moved to Berry Hill in 1940, and I lived just below Chandler Park. I grew up below the large hills next to just south of West 21st Street on South 49th West Avenue. My parents owned the wooded area that ran from West 26th and South 49th West Avenue, and then going back west until you reached South 57th West Avenue. There was a creek that used to run from the river behind the property in Hills. It's all changed now due to building the new bridge. My neighbor and his friend who grew up in our neighborhood were walking behind our homes in the wooded area along the creek and over the hills and told me that they had seen a large dark Bigfoot looking thing on the other side of the creek going up the hill. At first, I thought they were seeing a bear walking up on two feet, and then realized we didn't have bears in Berry Hill. It scared them so much 
They ran the opposite direction back home. I always thought they just told me the story to scare me as a joke because my neighbor knew I was scared of Bigfoot since seeing Legend of Boggy Creek a few years earlier and had to live among such a wooded area. I was always worried about it when having to go to the back acres of my parents' property. But after seeing the pics of the footprint, Chandler Park footprint of 2021, I immediately thought of that story I was told in the 70s. The location I am talking about is probably only a half mile from Chandler Park and just directly east of the park. Follow up NOBRO investigators report. The NOBRO received this report in response to a recent post on our NOBRO Facebook page, which reported the finding and casting of the Chandler Park footprint from our report files. Report number 124, Park Naturalist Finds Track Along Trail. This third-party participant knew of two childhood friends who saw a Bigfoot-like creature on her parents' property from the 1970s. Our third-party participant stated that, at first, she thought the boys must have seen a bear, but quickly realized she's never heard of a bear being in the Berry Hill area when she was a child. She estimated the time of day that the boys saw the creature was around late afternoon to dusk. She went on to say, I am not sure what time of day that S and C would have been out there to see what they saw. I know it couldn't have been too dark because they were able to see it from a distance, but maybe at dusk because when they got back home and by the time they came up and told me about it, I vividly remember it was somewhat dark and we were sitting outside on my porch. They were still shook up about it and of course it scared me and I probably didn't sleep well that night. The NOBRO has received both positive and negative feedback since posting the Chandler Park track report. There have been many questions about this area being wooded enough to support a Bigfoot. Our third party participant had a great response to this question with a historical perspective of the area. She went on to say, yes, I noticed someone commented saying she had looked up the geographical location and thought it wasn't rural enough, which I disagree with because Chandler Park is surrounded by a heavily wooded area on all sides. Years ago when growing up in Berry Hill, the area was even more so, especially the area I was raised before they began to cut down the top of the hill on South 49th West Avenue and began cutting down the trees and brush near 21st and South 57th West Avenue for the new road and bridge over the Arkansas River. I grew up below the huge hill that my parents owned and they had 20 acres behind us, which included the creek. My grandparents lived below Chandler Park on South 65th West Avenue since 1940, so my mother grew up in that home. They referred to the southern side of what we know as Chandler Park as Rock Crusher Hill. I know back in those days they left a lot of open shafts and areas that was somewhat filled up and overgrown by nature. Also, there are numerous old caves and pockets between stones and cliffs that humans have probably not been in over 60 or so years 
The main caves and rock ledges people have recently been able to still see and walk around in on the north side of Chandler Park are only just a few of what's there and what's obvious. Our third party participant came forward in hopes that more people that grew up in the same area might have similar stories to add and help build support for the Chandler Park track find. She stated, I posted the story on my Facebook page and I have already received some response from people all ages who grew up in Berry Hill with me. I'm curious to learn as more people hear about it if they'll come forward and share stories that they may have. People are usually reluctant to speak about things, especially a topic like Bigfoot, for fear of being ridiculed until some form of evidence is found to support their experience and they feel more comfortable talking about it. This report from our third party participant helps and supports the NOBRO's report of the Chandler Park track and cast. This information puts Bigfoot in this area from the past and maybe these creatures still visit the area today. Also, when you add the fact that park naturalist Kim Watson found very large unidentified scat a few months prior to the track, this evidence also helps point to the fact that these creatures still might frequent the area. This case is now closed.